With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's head out to the phones and welcome in to the program, friend of the program, as we goof with each other off the air here, Terrence Oglesby. Terrence, welcome back to the show, man. Appreciate you spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Anything for you, Rob. I can't wait to talk about some of the things that, that have gone on here lately. It's pretty pretty interesting stuff, and I'm watching some pretty intriguing television on Sunday night. I, I know, right? We're going to talk about The Last Dance in a little bit, but uh, I want to make sure that uh, you know that... Uh, that when you're in Colombia, there's always a microphone open for you here. Once we get out of uh, pandemic mode, and they actually let people back in the building. We may we may just put no we may put like a uh, we may put up a basketball goal back here, and you and I can go back there and shoot hoops. I think I can beat you in horse. I know you say you never lost a game. I think I can hold my own. We we'll have to we have to talk I won't about even, that. I won't even I won't even touch the ball with my left, with my right hand if that's where you want to go, right? <laughs> We'll get into that later on, but uh, it came down today. Louisville is facing some level one violations, and man, you know we don't know exactly what all went on, but we do know that uh, it comes from the Rick Patino era, and it's at a point now where these level one violations, just from what I'm reading, I mean it's it's harsh. It can affect your program for a long time, right? Absolutely. Uh, level one violations are obviously the most substantial and. This comes from the kid from Indiana that ended up going to Australia. Do you remember the name? His name off the top of oh, your goodness, head? Oh goodness, off the top Adidas. of my head. Yeah, it was. The, it was an Adidas pay for place scandal, and it was kind of the craziest situation because I remember Rick Pitino saying, "Hey, this kid is extremely talented. We're really happy to have him." But it was one of those ordeals. They called me and told me that he was coming, which automatically in my mind at the time kind of. You know, set me off. I was like, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because usually there's some kind of background information, but uh, all of that stuff's coming to light. And look no further, we were talking off air than the North Carolina situation this year when they were dealing with all their academic, uh, uh, basically academic fraud. I'm just going to call it what it was. And what happens is you start dealing with these sanctions two and three years later and evidence no further than our own conference with uh, North Carolina this year just struggling because a lot of guys, a lot of these top-tier guys, they're going to stay clear of schools with sanctions because they're scared they're not going to be able to get into the tournament and, do, and you know, ba- basically boost their stock that way. And it, ma- it makes it really difficult uh, to recruit because then if you strike out on those guys, the second-tier guys have typically – uh, already committed to schools. And then basically North Carolina ended up with the Sterling Manleys and the Andrew Playtex of the world as opposed to uh, two or three or four Cole Anthonys. Yeah, and it's amazing that they ended up with Cole Anthony, to be completely honest with you, when you really stop yeah, well, and look at it. it. Absolutely. Well, I think this year was pretty much the first year that Carolina kind of got back on track with their recruiting. And, Rob, you and I both know that next year they're going to be right back in the mix of things because they have a heck of a recruiting class coming in. But it takes its toll. And and level one violations of this nature, I mean, this is something that you're going to see the effects of uh, two and three years down the road. And I, to be honest with you, 
it's kind of crazy the way the whole thing works out because what has Chris Mack done that's illegal? That he's going to have to deal with these sanctions and be able to plan around these sanctions. And meanwhile, Rick Pitino goes overseas for three years, and then now he's the coach at Iona, which we talked about last time I was on your radio show. Right. So it's one of those things like who's really responsible? Is it the university for kind of enabling coaches to go that direction, or is right. it the coach's fault? Uh it's kind of a weird thing. You know, what do you do moving forward? Well, and, and that's the thing, too. With, with Chris Mack, are they going to be patient with him? Because at the recruiting end will catch up with them eventually. And if he's able to, let's say, two seasons from now, finish 500 in ACC play, that's some coach of the year type stuff, in my opinion, if he's able to pull that off. Well, I will give – I'll give Mack – credit here the past two summers he has done a fantastic job of recruiting ever since he got that job at louisville now so they do have enough talent young talent to where he's going to be able to coach through a good majority of this uh and he had no choice because i think in the back of his mind and in the back of everybody's mind and at louisville they knew that sanctions were coming so he had to get his work in early in order to kind of get something that was sustainable. And he's done a nice job with, uh, was I can't, Egohon or Aiden Ijohn. I can't remember. I can't remember how to pronounce his name, but he, he's a heck of a player from Scotland. They got uh, the Nickelberry kid from Virginia who's a good player. And they just, he's got guys that will be able to develop into better players. And he's gone the grad transfer route to get point guards and lead guards just so those guys can wait to develop. And now he knows that he's probably going to have a significant scholarship reduction uh, coming up shortly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to so see. What I'm saying is, Rob, what I'm saying is, Rob, is, is sure. what Chris Mack has done it has been sustainable, and he's ready, and uh, his roster is capable of dealing with uh, maybe a two- or three-year scholarship ban. Of some nature, yeah. But to, when you have a scholarship ban and it comes off of that, and uh, I mean, that's kind of one of those things where it can affect you down the road. But if you lose one scholarship a year, how can that affect a program in your mind? Well, you can't miss, uh, especially at the Division One level. I mean, where do you only get thirteen? So it's right. like you, you can't miss uh, many. You can miss two or three, but that just increases your chances of, uh, you know, being able to basically strike out. You're going to miss every now and then. And it's not as bad as what, obviously, what, you know, other levels are dealing with where you only have five and seven scholarships. But at the same time, guys get hurt. Uh, Kids transfer out. Uh, You know, things happen. And so every coach hopes to have eight or nine guys that they can rely on, and this just decreases the chances of them being able to uh, perform at a certain level. And it discourages some of the top top prospects from looking at your school because everybody wants to be in the tournament, and and everybody wants to win while they're in college. So uh, it, it is damaging for sure here in the next two to three years. All right, so... From the last time that we got on, that we had you on, the NCAA has talked about where uh, it's basically going to get passed eventually, where uh, athletes can use their likeness to make money. I don't think that every athlete would have the opportunity to do it, but when you were in college at Clemson, if you could have used your likeness and made some money, do you think that may have uh, made you stay in college for another year? No. No. 
I, I could have made some money, I think, because I, I think, especially in the state of South Carolina, I had a small following. But uh, my, to be honest with you, Rob, my, my goal was never to make a ton of money playing. It was, it was basically to get an NBA jersey. However long I would have been in the NBA, I wouldn't have cared as long as I got a jersey. And I, I, I didn't get to that goal, but I had a heck of a ride trying to get there. But yeah. Uh, I would have been able to, you know, I, I don't know. If you really want to think hard about it, I might have been able to make, you know, sixty or seventy thousand dollars. You know, that's thinking on the high end. But here's the problem that a lot of guys are going to run into: like these freshmen that are incoming. Like, how much is your likeness worth if you're only going to stay for one year? Well, because you can't you can't use and I'm, I'm sorry Rob for inter, uh, you know interrupting you but no, you can't use the school's logo that you're going to in order to sell profit or to, to sell your likeness so a lot of the majority of the people besides hoop heads like myself and, and like some of these like some of these you know recruiting websites not a lot not a whole lot of people know who these guys are uh, coming up especially to look at them. So I think it'll be interesting in itself. Now, you have your outliers. You have your Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be able to sell head and shoulder shampoo for as long as he wants to. You have Zion Williamson, who's going to be able to sell whatever kind of protein powder he wants because they look a certain way. But, like, I, for the most part, I think it's going to – I don't think it's going to be as um, – I don't think it's going to be as uh, substantial as some think. Where I do think it could come in handy, like these guys who have YouTube channels, like – I think there was a kid down at uh, Central Florida who had a YouTube channel that was starting to make some profit, and uh, the NCAA basically kicked it off. I think it's going to help kids like that to where it's not going to restrict them as, you know, partial scholarship guys. But, you know, who who knows? I, I don't think it's going to be as substantial as what people think, though. I think that players like uh, – uh, like um, if someone was a player like you who played at, at Clemson and had, had a great skill set as a shooter – uh, one of the things I read is that you could have your own camps. So in, in your off time, if you wanted to put together a, a training camp on a Saturday and rent out a YMCA or whatever and charge people to do it and call it the Terrence Oglesby camp, you could do that now. And I, I think that's – Now that's big. Yeah, that, I mean, you can do that and make money from your likeness like that. And I think a lot of uh, – especially like the uh, in female sports, they're going to have sand volleyball camps and stuff like that where – you're going to be able to take your kid and have a college kid instruct them. That's, I think that's going to be huge. And they're going to be able to watch. Yeah, that, I didn't even take that into account, to be honest with you. That, that's actually really big. I mean, I couldn't imagine how many kids we could get for a Terrence Oglesby shooting camp uh, in 2009. Uh, you know, I'd, <laughs> I would imagine. Hell, I'd send my kid to your camp in 2020, ass. man. What are you talking about? I'd, I'd send you uh, now. I'd send them now. Nobody's coming to that camp. I, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd pay for it. Talks too much, <laughs> I'd pay for it if you could help my kid out, get that jump shot right. <laughs> but, no, I mean, I think that's something that's going to come on where they can use their likeness for that and just put out there that, hey, I – whatever and rent out rent out a, a gym and, and then i think people would show up i really really do so that's something where and i think that they'll make money uh and th- that may just be enough money to you know uh kind of supplement themselves a little bit so i think i think that's a good thing yeah. but i don't think a lot of players are really going to make a lot of money so it's kind of much ado about nothing right. well let me ask you this let me ask you this rob so if if say an assistant coach would run a camp and he got his and he got his uh, players to work the camp with that assistant coach. 
be able to give money to those players that are helping run his camp? I, I think so under that's, gonna, that's a slippery slope. That is a slippery slope, but uh, I don't know. I mean, that depends on what the NCAA rules. I do know that I, I read I read something where it said that they can work camps, is what what I read. So that may be, when you think about it, a backhanded way of, hey, you come over here and run around for a little bit, and we'll give you a couple of thousand dollars. That's not that far fetched. To that is that slippery slope that you have been talking about. I'm thinking of the entrepreneurial well, well, side of me, though, where it's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm playing up here, and I'll work with your kid. Bring them over here, and boom, boom, boom. I mean, that that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, that can happen, but, I mean, life is about loopholes in the NCAA from what, I, from what I've uh, <laughs> begun to realize. Yeah. Like, I could see I could see a five star kid going to you know work uh, an assistant coach's basketball camp for two hours. He shows up for ten minutes and then gets a hundred thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if if that's within the rule book, like that's the kind of thing that scares me about the whole thing. But I, I but like you said, I think it's going to affect a lot less kids than what you know than what people think. Like. Maybe some of these kids go back home and they run a summer camp at their hometowns and they are able to get 50 kids or something at 25 bucks a pop, like the uh, outliers, the Trevor Lawrences and the Zions and guys like that. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Last Dance documentary and uh, it, this—it's it, been must-watch television. Uh, Absolutely. The the thing that I'm taking away from it, though, you can tell that Michael Jordan had. Um, editorial control over it. You, you can see that. Um, but, I, I mean, he did take some shots in this thing that I didn't think that he would he would take. One of them being last night with the, uh, the whole thing about the uh, Republicans buy sneakers, too. I did not think that would come up in this documentary. Were you kind of shocked by that? I, the fact that he does have so much control over it, I'll be honest with you, the second episode of last night, I I was kind of like, man, it, this went from a Bulls documentary to a Jordan documentary. And, and you know, a lot of those guys aren't getting their fair share. Like, uh, you, you know, just to kind of point a lot of that stuff out. But I, I think one of the reasons those things came up, and because Michael's tired of hearing about it all, and he wants to explain himself. And the good thing about With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Doing your own documentary is he gets to explain himself and nobody has to interrupt him. The funny thing about me with some of his gambling things that he's opened up and talked about, right? It's like, like it's it. Now I want to I, I want to preface by saying that Michael Jordan makes so much money, and just because you're done playing doesn't mean you want to stop competing in something. That's one of the hardest things I'm having trouble with right now is being a retired athlete. I don't have anything really to compete in. Uh, especially now, I'm going crazy. But, like, <clears throat> for him to kind of make himself get out of bed in the morning, you're going to have to put $50,000 on the table. Because <laughs> he didn't, like, it, <laughs> what, what is he waking up for? So, like, these absurd amounts of money, I don't think that I, I, people look at him and they're like, holy cow, how could he do that? That's a year salary for a lot of people. But then it's like, well, it's Michael Jordan. He makes that in an hour. 
You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, he's able to kind of control the narrative. Uh, some of the, his answers I thought were really comical. Like he's like, I, I have a competitive problem. It's like, come on, man! Like, Who you doesn't? love to gamble because you like to, you like to just take you like to take things from people. <laughs> that's that's what it came to. That 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 is a uh, true on that front. But one of the other things that bothered me last night was, and, and and I'm not trying to shred the series. I think it's just great television. But there were 30 minutes that they did just on the Jordan sneakers. I, I mean, that that's where it's like. Wait a minute. We're supposed to be talking about the 97-98 Bulls. Why do I have to see yeah. a 30-minute Nike documentary? That's basically what what yeah. I took away from that that section of it. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I, I picked up on that too. I was like, why are we talking about Jordan shoes? This is supposed to be about the, the Bulls. And uh, now I get it. It was pretty. There were some critical aspects about it, like coming full circle. But it was like uh, that was the point where I was like, man, I thought this was a Bulls documentary. I didn't know it was a Jordan documentary, and it was. You know, I, I get it. Like, they have a profound – he made a profound statement on, you know, the world as we know it when it comes to Nike. And Nike wasn't really that kind of company at the time. And uh, how bad do you feel if you're Adidas? Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, we can't give you your own shoe. And, man, I, I think Jordan needed his own shoe. So, yeah. I, you know, it's uh, – I, 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 I'm in agreement with you, Rob. I thought it, it leaned a little too heavily towards uh, – Jordan, and especially in the second episode yesterday, but I think they get back to the rest of the Bulls coming up. All right, we have to do one more bad thing here before we can get into some other stuff. But the uh, I, I think people seem to forget on that uh, on that Bulls team how good Tony Kukoc was. I, I mean, oh. that that team that that Jordan set of team with uh, with Jordan and Pippen and all those guys, but Kukoc was an amazing player. Well, anywhere else, anywhere else in the NBA, Kukoc is getting twenty point seven and seven. Like, like he was so talented and he was such a good passer. Now he did have a penchant for the spectacular, and I think that's what drove Phil Jackson crazy a lot of times. But it was like his ability at six ten, six eleven to be able to pass, you know, dribble, pass, and shoot. At that time in the NBA, I mean, that wasn't necessarily common practice. And I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, like. That that ninety was it ninety seven ninety eight uh, that ninety seven ninety eight Bulls team is that the right year Rob yeah that's right year ninety seven ninety eight yeah I, yeah ninety seven ninety eight team and ninety six ninety seven team that team could have competed today because everybody on that team one through five Ron Harper ran the point it's it's five way switching you can switch at every position and it was just kind of it speaks to the genius of uh, Phil Jackson to play small ball in the mid to late 90s. And it just, it was, he, he was able to do that because Tony Kukoc was so good and he was such a good passer and he read the game so well. And, I, you know, I played in Europe for several years and you always play with one or two Eastern Europeans and they're tough as, they're tough as nails. And he just, you know, it, Jordan and Pippen rode him up and down the court the first game they played in the Olympics, and then Kukoc ended up with 20 points and eight and six or something like some some ridiculous numbers against the Dream Team, in which they were just supremely overmanned. Tony Kukoc was a really good player, and it was almost a disservice that he went to the Bulls because I don't know that we ever really saw the full version that Tony Kukoc could have been. The interesting thing about that is that uh, when, from what I remember, now I'm not the uh, X's and O's guy that, that you are, you've dealt with, obviously, but 
they had Kukoc as their small forward at 6'10". Rodman was their power forward at 6'7". And then, of course, they went with uh, with Pippen and, and Harper and Jordan. That's just – when that lineup's on the floor, man, that's just nasty. Just nasty. Yeah, and then whenever they wanted – yeah, when they wanted to go really big, they had Luke Longley at the five. It was like – it was interesting because towards the end of Jordan's career with the Bulls, he began posting up a lot more. And I'm, I'm not going to get too detailed into the triangle offense, but Tony Kukoc, because he was able to shoot, he allowed them to do that, and he allowed Rodman to be on the opposite block. So essentially what you're doing is you're playing Jordan at the four, being guarded by a two, and you can't leave Kukoc because he shot it at a 40% clip. So That, that man, team was just, just deadly, he, he though. He that lineup – Oh, yeah. He gave that those lineups such versatility. And you look back, just to kind of go back uh, even further, not even further, but you look back at the Kobe Shaq years, you know, one of the key pieces to the Lakers those years was that Robert Ory could shoot the three. And it was a little bit the same as what Tony Kukoc was able to do. Obviously, Ory wasn't the same player that, that Kukoc was, but just the ability to create space and – uh, you know, Jordan definitely benefited from him. And I think the fact that Kukoc kind of just continued to play his own game, he, he eventually earned everybody's respect there. Uh, moving on a little bit here, though, uh, Jordan said uh, in the series with Clyde Drexler, and he was talking about how they tried to do a, like a, it was a Jordan versus Drexler thing. And the way Jordan just basically just dismissed Clyde Drexler, Drexler was a Hall of Famer. <laughs> So that, just yeah. put that put that in your head for a second. I don't think a lot of people, especially on the East Coast, got to watch a lot of Clyde Drexler, but he was a heck of a player in his own right. And Jordan's just like, yeah, whatever. He's not even on the same yeah, planet. That's kind of the the adage that I got from Jordan. Isn't that crazy? I, I mean, you think about all these guys. These are you know, Drexler was what a ten time All Star or something like that. Like, yeah. And Jordan just he just I, I'm just going to use. <laughs> He just put to sleep Hall of Famers. Like when Jordan when Jordan made it to the finals, Jordan was the only person getting rings. Like he wasn't handing them out to everybody else. A la LeBron. <laughs> that's that's a la LeBron. So like it's like if Jordan made it to the finals, you could forget it because he was just such a dominant personality. And the funny, my favorite part of the whole documentary was B.J. Armstrong said something yesterday. He said. You know, we're all out there trying to play basketball. Jordan was out there just to, to win, and influ- and he knew when to influence the game and, and, and in what way he needed to do it, which told me, like, Jordan just had different gears that he could go to just to make sure they won, which, to me, which that in and of itself is really amazing. Moving on to the, uh, the series with the Suns, though, and uh, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but I'm a huge Phoenix Suns fan. Always love Phoenix. I have a Dan Marley jersey hanging in my office. That's not a joke. Thunder Dan. Yeah, I love Thunder Dan Marley. And then last night, they, uh, of course, they do the whole thing where it's like he talks about how Krause loved Marley. When I look at that, though, I, I remember that series with the Suns and how they just pretty much just gutted the Phoenix Suns. But when you look at that Suns team, they had some great players. And it's like um, every team that Jordan played against, especially in the finals, he went against Hall of Famers. I mean, Drexler, Barkley, uh, with the Jazz, he had uh, Stockton and Malone. I mean, he, as you said, he just put players to sleep. And it's amazing the level of dominance he had against some of the talent that he played against. 
I was actually happy that they kind of magnified how good Charles Barkley actually was. Like that, he was an MVP of the league. He he was in unbelievable shape that year, and he still managed to find a way to. I mean, Dan Marley's a good player, and Kenny Johnson was a good player, but he was still by himself in that Western Conference for the most part, and he was able to get them to the finals. And I'm happy that Chuck got his uh, his much needed attention because I think you know the fact that he's such a, a jovial dude on TV that it, it, it kind of ruins people forget that he was absolutely dominant. He was the MVP of the league. Like when Draymond Green comes over there and acts like he's some kind of player averaging eight points, four and four, it's like, come on, man, you're trying to compare yourself to Barkley. Just go take a nap. Yeah, slow, slow down like, with all that. And Bar- yeah, just, Barkley just that go, season just too, I mean, somewhere. I looked this up last night. I mean, he shot a pretty good percentage from three-point land. So, I mean, he, he could take yeah. you out there and knock down some threes. I mean, it wasn't a, a great percentage, but it was enough where you had to respect him as a player out there. And I think that's what well, I mean, you getting think, the MVP. So, Yeah, well, you got to think, too, Barkley was a rule changer. And people don't, people don't know this, but, like, the NBA changed, the, changed uh, a rule. It's called a five-second back-down rule. And that was put in place because of Charles Barkley. He would catch the ball at the three-point line. And then basically turn his back and then bully his way all the way into the court. Like he was, he was a rule changer. And there's very few people that are rule changer. I think Allen Iverson's a rule changer. Jordan obviously. Will Chamberlain widened out the lane. Like there, are, there are certain people that are rule changers, and it's obviously only the elite of the elite. But to be honest with you, like man, he was just so good and so dominant. And I'm happy he got his credit. But that just talks even more about how good Jordan was, and, and speaks on how he would motivate himself when he's comparing himself. Like, this dude thinks I, thinks Dan Marley's better than me. Like, yeah, Jerry Krause thinks this about Dan Marley. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's absurd, but it kind of goes into your mindset of, like, of what, a, what greatness is and, and this competitive drive that's just nuts. He, uh, he definitely was a competitor. Uh, my final thing with, uh, with Terrence Oglesby joining us, you know, they had Sam Smith on, uh, on, on the series last night. I've interviewed Sam Smith on the show, and, of course, he's the author of The Jordan Rules. And they were talking back and forth about who was uh, talking uh, to Sam Smith. Man, Horace did it. Yeah, that, well, but you can just look at Horace Grant, and he just had – uh yeah, I did it. Written on his forehead, and, and I noticed your tweet last <laughs> night. Horace is lying, which made me Horace laugh really lying, hard. Man. Yeah, my my well, wife was da- my this. wife was sitting downstairs, and she's like, "What the hell are you laughing at?" And I t- I had to explain it to her because she's not basketball savvy. But then she goes, "I don't understand why that's funny." But to me, that's absolutely hilarious. Horace was lying, man. <laughs> and here's the here's the funny thing about it is you know I played with Jeray, his nephew. I played with Jeray Grant at Clemson, and it was that exact same face that Jeray had whenever we knew Jeray, like, Jeray, why didn't you go to class? Or he'd be like, well, uh, and he would just kind of start rambling. And he'd give this face, and he'd start smiling a little bit. Like, it was like, yeah, it was me, but I'm not going, I'm not going to give it to you. It was Horace, man. Horace is lying. I don't care what Clemson fan calls in and tries to say, no, it wasn't Horace. It was Horace. Horace did it. He co-wrote the book. I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say about it, but Horace did it. He was as guilty as I've ever seen. 
Amazing stuff there uh, with the Jordan Rules documentary. Uh, I'd like to bring you back on next Monday to talk about the next two because uh, the next two are where it really gets interesting, where they talk about the playoff run they had. If you would, uh, if you could make some time for us next Monday, I'd be most appreciative. Awesome, man. I'm ready to go. Just let me know. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate you joining us. Tell folks where they can follow you on Twitter and, of course, when you're going to drop your next podcast. My next podcast is in the works. Uh, it, to be in all honest, in all honesty, Rob, it'll probably be next week, just because I, I I'm I'm moving currently, and all my all my uh, podcast equipment is packed up, and I'm doing my best. But uh, it'll be uh, my my Twitter handle is at Coach To Twenty Two. Make sure you hit that follow button. I uh, I tweet as that show is going, and then various stuff around basketball and college basketball, obviously, and then also. Uh, the podcast is called Let It Fly with Terrence Oglesby. It is on all major platforms, uh, iTunes Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast and wherever you need your podcast needs, you can find it there. And uh, just check it out. Give it a listen. Thanks for joining us on today's show. Of course, you're always welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Rob Sounds Good. And, of course, don't forget my buddy Lawton Swan. He's at Clemson Sports. Thanks for checking us out on The Rundown. This is Fox Sports Radio 1400. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.